You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Hey, we are so glad that you're here. And uh, by the way, those of you that have been praying for cold weather, you can stop now. All right? Because seriously, it worked. You got it. That's enough. Start praying about something else. All right? But uh, so I guess it was about 12 years ago. I got home from the office, and my wife greets me at the door to tell me that there has been a problem while I was gone. And uh, in our old house, in the front bathroom, uh, we had the, this towel bar, but it was one of those kind of old school towel bars where there's the tile, and then there, the, um, it's kind of made of ceramic or whatever, and so it, it cements into the wall, you know what I'm talking about, the, the towel bar? So it's there, but when it had broken off. So I get home, and the towel bar is on the, fl- on the floor. And so I ask Carrie, well, what do you think happened? She's like, I don't know. It's just on the floor. So I'm thinking for a moment as to how this could have taken place. So I decided to talk to a couple of people, and, or at least one person that I thought would be a good suspect. So I asked my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Mia, at the time, and I said, Mama, how did the bar for the towels break? Because I don't know. That usually doesn't happen. Um, towels aren't that heavy. At least the towels at my house aren't that heavy. But, um, so I said, how did it She's like, ah, Dad, I don't know. I was swinging on it, and it just broke. <laughs> Famous last words. And uh, now, uh, by the way, my daughter Mia is 15 years old today. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. I I don't know, and those of you that have kids, you know this, like, you're like, how did this happen? Um, Because, and it's weird, because it's, I feel like it it just, it was so fast, and yet, I don't really remember life without her, and, uh, which is weird, but it was, it feels like, in a way, it's like a lifetime ago, because I was young and vibrant, Um, I had hair, and everything didn't hurt, Uh, but, but there is something, there is something about someone's last words, and uh, maybe it was when someone stepped from here to eternity and they, they spoke words to you that, that impacted your life, probably had that. Um, maybe it was before a big moment in your life and someone spoke some words to you and those, those words impacted you. Um, you know, I had that when I graduated high school. When I, I remember graduating from high school. I went to a school in Coral Springs called Terravella. And so I graduated from Terravella um, a little bit late, but it happened. And um, uh, we, the... Graduation took place at uh, Sunrise Musical Theater. It's not there anymore, but it was this little theater. And um, I remember everybody getting there, and everybody was talking about their graduation gifts. And um, one girl, and, you know, some of it was like, you know, I got this little thing or I watch or something. And then some people got, like the one girl was talking about, you know, I, my parents bought me a BMW. Um, and it's like, you know, so I was like, okay, yeah, I didn't know. I hated you until this moment. Um, <laughs> and so, which, you know, I mean, be, uh, honestly, BMW, I would have been happy with BMX because um, I was graduating a year late. That's why I, I tell people that being a senior was the best two years of my life. And, um, but, I, but as I was, you know, it was going by rows, so I stand up and I go to the side because I'm about to walk up on the stage. And then my mom shows up. She's there. And uh, she puts her hand on my shoulder and, and said to me some famous words that I will never forget. And she just said, Robert, it's about time. 
and that, those, were her, those were her encouraging mo- uh, words to me for the rest of my life, where it's about time. And I, you know, I like to think of going to high school for five years as really squeezing all the juice out of everything that high school had. And uh, maybe, maybe a famous last word was, guys, you got on one knee and you proposed to your wife, and you said everything, and, and then, you know, and then she responded with, you know, yes, I love you too, and it was this beautiful moment, um, you know, I, I didn't have that, but I, I appreciate those who did. When I asked my wife to marry me, um, it was very awkward, and I got on one knee, and I asked my wife to marry me, and my wife didn't say anything, um, and when I mean she didn't say anything, I mean for like a long time. She didn't say anything, and she will never admit to this, but what I do believe was happening was she was scrolling through other men that she knew, and she's like, you know, I, I, wonder, I wonder if he's still available. That guy's married. He was way better looking than Bob. I should see if he's doing okay. And um, so, but it got to the point. Now, I want you to think about this. You ask someone to marry you, and it, there's a long enough pause to where you have to say the words that you always dreamed of as you were a, a person growing up when you said, um, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need an answer. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it was like almost to the, you know, on Jeopardy, like doot, 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 that little beep on Jeopardy. Like we almost got there. But I'm like, Carrie, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to need an answer. And then so what, what felt like an eternity after that subtle encouragement, she gave me an enthusiastic, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> not like, of course, I love you, you fool. Uh, not like, I can't believe I get all this to myself. Um, nothing like that. I got, um, yeah. And so, famous last words. And uh, so, <laughs> you know, sometimes you say, um, yeah, right before you're about to make a bad decision. <laughs> but... Now, I tell you all this, I tell you all this because we are, we're finishing a journey today that's taken us 16 messages and about five months to get here, but we're going to read the final words of the Apostle Paul. Now, listen, Jesus is the founder of the Christian faith, but no other person has had a greater impact on the Christian faith than the Apostle Paul. Um, The Apostle Paul wrote half the New Testament and He he planted a church in just about every city that he visited and reached countless people with the gospel. And so what we're going to read together today are his final words. Now, for those of you that haven't been here or you forgot or you just want the reminder, um, 2 Timothy is Paul's most personal letter. It's heavy and it's personal because it's, it's Paul sharing his last will and testament, if you will. If you remember Timothy, who he's writing to, his protege, his son in the faith, Timothy was pastoring a church in a city called Ephesus, which was the second largest city in the Roman Empire, second only to the city of Rome itself. And there was a lot of confusion, a lot of confusion about what was right and true and good. And Paul's words were old school. They were like latitude and longitude that you could set the course of your life by them. And in in this final letter that Paul writes, not one word is wasted. And so in these final words that Paul is going to share, he's going to give these, um, not just share these three truths with Timothy, but he's going to charge Timothy about how to live with hope in the midst of trouble. And I believe that no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in today, we're going to be impacted. 
by Paul's final words if we let them, and they can direct our lives if we allow them. So we're going to start in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy in verse 1. It says this, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. And if you pause there and give me your attention, charge number one that Paul gives to Timothy is that you must fulfill your calling before God. Paul opens this last uh, chapter with the word therefore, and obviously that links what he's saying in this new idea to the previous idea that was given. The previous thing, if you were with us last time, he ends the chapter three saying that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable to teach us. It's profitable to correct us. It's profitable to equip us. And because of that, Paul tells Timothy to preach the word. And not only does he say preach the word, he says, I want you to preach the word in season and out of season. I want you to preach the word when you feel like it and even when you don't feel like it. Because he says that there's going to come a time when people aren't going to want to hear it. And they're going to turn aside to all kinds of weird stuff. But then he says in verse 5, he says, but you, instead of being like that, you be watchful in all things. You endure afflictions. You do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. The point is don't let anything stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Because there's something that I've observed. Maybe you've observed it too, but there's something that I've observed um, with Christians that, that drives me crazy, that we do this in church, and I don't know why, but we have this idea, and sometimes we give up because we think that if something is God's will, it's supposed to be easy. And that's just not the case. The proof that something is God's, God's will, uh, the proof isn't that it's easy. The proof is that it will be worth it. And a lot of times we give up before things are about to break through and things are about to change. And, and my son taught me this lesson about uh, sticking with it a while back. My son is 12 now. He was probably about 10 at the time. And he was playing this game on his tablet that is called Geometry Dash. Now, here's what you need to know about Geometry Dash. Geometry Dash is not a game about math, which is what I thought it was. And so every time I like, exam, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm playing Geometry Dash. I'm like, look at this kid. Drilling down on mathematics. We got an engineer on our hands. You know, as a scientist, this kid's going to space. You know, I thought something like that. Uh, turns out it's like this little guy, and he just, just kind of, anyway, it's not math. That's really what I'm saying. And so, he, then we're, so we're sitting there in the dining room, and he gets so excited. And he's like, Dad, you're not going to believe this, but I just beat this level in geometry dash. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, and I want you to look. It only took me 2,107 times to get it. And that's when I found out Geometry Dash is not about math. And it, ma and it made my first thought was I need to be more involved in the lives of my children. And, uh, but it also, it also made me think about something else, that how many times have I given up right before we're about to experience a victory in our lives? I mean, what happens when you get to like 1,500? It still hasn't when you're like, oh, yeah, I forget, this ain't never going to happen. What happens when you get to like 2,000 or 2,100 or 2,105 or 2,106 and it's 2,107 is when it's going to happen? 
But sometimes we give up. And that's why the Apostle Paul, earlier in his ministry, he would encourage another church. He'd say it this way. He would say, don't grow weary while doing good. There it is. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And listen, the fa- Paul doesn't even let the fact, um, the, the thing that I just think is, is so powerful, he's like, you just can't give up. In fact, he even says, Timothy, I don't even care if you're not gifted in an area, you still can't give up. Because when he says, at the end of it, he says, you endure all things, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. We're never told that Timothy has the gift of evangelism. But he says, you still got to do the work. And sometimes we think that as Christians, if we aren't gifted in an area, well, then I don't have to do it. I, I'm exempted. That was like the, ori- the original religious exemption was, was that. By the way, I thought that was hilarious when I wrote it. Um, I guess you've never heard of that. Or maybe it's just you're too cold to laugh. I don't know what's the problem. But later on, you're going to be like, oh, religious exempt. I get it. I get it now. Anyway, forget it. I'm not writing you a letter. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, uh, but the point is, is that when it, we just think, oh, if I don't have that gift, I don't have to do it. There's many things that we may not be gifted in, but we still have to do it. One of the gifts, and there's, you know, several gifts that are mentioned in um, Ephesians, they're mentioned in 1 Corinthians, they're mentioned in the book of Romans, are, are gifts that the Spirit of God gives to believers. One of them is a gift of mercy. And just because you don't have the gift of mercy doesn't mean you, have, you get to be a jerk. No, even if you don't have the gift of mercy, you still got to be merciful. If you don't have the gift of helps, guess what? You're like, I'm, I'm not helping. Why? I don't have the gift of helps. I don't have to help anybody. No, you still have to help, right? That's just, that's just part of it. When God gives you and I a spiritual gift, that becomes the place where we add the greatest value in the body of Christ, and it's how we fit into the body. We use our gifts, and God has a way of multiplying our efforts. But we do a lot of things outside of our gifting simply because we're called to it. And, and I, I say it like this when I teach this to my kids. Have you ever um, had some, and every man over 40 will understand this, you ever have something fall to the ground and you pick it up with your foot? Like you just like, you're, you do this thing with your toes, like you crinkle it. And you're like, I'm picking up this toothbrush, but I am not bending over. And then you're like, just... anybody ever done that? Am I the only person who's ever done that? Okay, a few people. A few people have done that. Okay, then you already understand this principle, all right? Because that's just what happens. We just do whatever it takes to make it happen. And, that, and that's really the key. Why? Because everything that we want in life is on the other side of not giving up. And this is true in the things when we think about like, man, I really want to get to this place in my career or in my life. These are the big goals and dreams that I have. It's on the other side of not giving up. And then even the things that are very personal to us, like if you want a great marriage, you know what it takes to have a great marriage? To not give up on your marriage. Uh, my, my friend, Mark Gunger, that uh, has hosted a couple of our, uh, he's taught at a couple, uh, he's been our guest speaker at a couple of our uh, marriage retreats. Um, he has, his parents were married for something like 60 years or something to that effect, and they hated each other. And uh, honestly, I think that's one of the reasons why he helps couples is because he just watched these two people who hated each other stay married for half a century. And, uh, but one of the things that he said is, is that they had all these reasons to why they couldn't stand each other, and then um, they both got dementia, and they forgot why they were so mad. <laughs> and for the last 15 years, they were happily married. Because they couldn't remember why they were so upset, so they just decided to be happy. And that's just, that to me is a lesson in not giving up. And it's a lesson that losing your mind isn't all bad. (laughs) So 
some of us have things to look forward to. And um, so, <laughs> that's a true story, by the way. And, and the, the point is this, right? Paul's telling Timothy and us not to give up because, listen, God really is faithful if you'll keep pressing on. And you're going to get to the place where you're going to see yourself break through and get and fulfill the thing that God has called you to do. Well, he goes on, he shares what are some really famous verses here in verse 6. He says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, second charge that he gives to Timothy is that not just you've got to fulfill your calling before God, but the second thing is you've got to model how to finish well. When he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, it reminds me of uh, when my wife and I got back from Israel in 1999, um, we, she got pneumonia. And so that meant I was in charge of cooking uh, for about a month. And we didn't have kids at the time. We were living in this little apartment. And I, at the time, I was a terrible cook. I've got some game now on the grill, but um, back then it was brutal. And I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. And we were just starting out. And we'd have two pennies to rub together. So I would just make whatever. So I remember one night I made a Red Baron frozen pizza and a can of baked beans. That was dinner. And then another night I made grilled cheese and rice. That was dinner, and, uh, and one night we sit down, and I was presenting my wife with a half of a Red Baron pizza that we were going to split, and, uh, which I had left in the oven for a little too long, and, uh, and, and she said, you know, Bob, you treat me like a goddess, and I'm like, really? How? She says, yeah, because every night you present me with a burnt offering, and, um, <laughs> and if you want to know why I have low self-esteem... This is part of the reason. <laughs> now, I, I, I t- <laughs> uh, now, <laughs> the drink offering was, um, was a, a command that was given to the people of Israel in Numbers chapter 15. And the drink offering was given with uh, a, an offering. It was called the burnt offering. That's why I brought up my, my wife's clever joke. And... Uh, and so, in fact, if you read the first seven chapters of the book of Leviticus, it's not the most exciting reading, but it tells you kind of the five major offerings that were given. And some of them are pretty straightforward, like the sin offering. You sin, you bring something to the tabernacle or the temple uh, to make things right between you and, you and God. And, uh, but there was also an offering that was called the fellowship offering, and that not, you didn't make the offering because anything was bad. You made the offering because things were good. In fact, this was a really cool offering because you would have the... Um, you, you, would, you would bring whatever it is that you're going to offer. That would get put on the altar, and then part of it would get consumed. God, that was God's part. And then there was a part that you could eat. It was like you and God having a barbecue together, and you were just rejoicing because things were right between you and God. And then there was another offering is the burnt offering. And the burnt offering was a little different than all the others. The burnt offering was an offering of total consecration to God. The entire offering would be consumed um, on the altar. And it was an offering where you were saying, God, this is me. I am dedicating myself to you 100%. And as, just as this offering is being consumed, this is what I want my life to be because I'm giving you everything that I have. In fact, uh, this is why 
when Paul says, this is what's happening in my life. It's, it's like the, the drink offering is going with the burnt offering. And this is, I'm realizing that much of my, the, the, I'm getting to the end. And that everything that I have to give to God, I've given to him. All that's left is my life. And I know that that's coming as well. And then Paul says what is one of the more famous verses in the New Testament. When he says, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. And I've kept the faith. The thing that I love about this is that it's easy to start well. Have you noticed everybody started well on their eating plan in January? And then things started happening, right? Like, well, it was a long weekend, and, and then we had this thing, and then, you know, it was Wednesday. And, uh, you know, and so, and then there's all these things that happen, right? Everybody knows how to start well in marriage, and everybody has a beautiful wedding. But listen, few people finish well. And I can tell you this, as I've gotten a little bit older, I'm way more impressed with how people finish than I am with how people start. And I, and I want to do, if I can, I want to drill down on this verse because I think that we read it, we talk about it, but what does it mean when, we, when he says that I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith? It's, it's these three wonderful truths that are, that are being said. And if you're a note taker, the first is this, is that finishing well isn't easy. That's why he says, I fought the good fight. It is a fight. It is a struggle. It isn't easy. And the beautiful promise, though, is that it is a good fight. It's a fight that's worth it. Ask anybody who's been married for more than 20 years. They know that this truth, that it is a fight. But it is a good fight uh, because you cannot last in marriage thinking that it's going to be all rainbows and unicorns. And I'm telling you, people are like, isn't it rainbows and unicorns? No. It's more like the movie Alien versus Predator. And so I'm just, but it's a fight, but it's worth it. It's good. And listen, the, the, the challenge is, is that you'll get to a season in your life where you realize maturity is when you stop fighting with each other and you start fighting for each other. And that's when the game changes. You know, we, we buy into this thinking sometimes where we think, you know, if I was with somebody else, this would be a lot easier. And we all know the stats on divorce and the stats on divorce are a little bit skewed because it takes in uh, those who've been married multiple times. But, um, you know, whatever the stat is on, you know, if it's 20, 25%, there's some debate on that for first marriages. But, you know, in second marriages, 60% of second marriages fail. 75% of third marriages fail. And I don't know if you see a pattern, but the pattern is that it's just, it's not just finding some other person. A lot of times it's the heart. And what the stats show us is, is that, what, you know, man, I put up with a lot in my first marriage. And then this other person came along like, if I didn't put up with this with my first one, I'm definitely not putting it up with you. And then by the time you get to the third one, that guy says one crossword, it's over. And uh, we're just canceling this out, drive through. I've already got a, a, a card over at the Justice of the Peace. Fourth one, I get it for free. So we're doing this, right? Now, let me give you another stat that I like even better. And that is that if a couple has a deep faith in God, they read the Bible and pray daily. They attend church weekly and serve at church. The odds of them getting married is 1 in 1,015. Listen, I like those odds a lot better. What's the difference? The difference is, is that it wasn't perfect people. It was imperfect people allowing the perfect love of God to invade their lives, which allowed them to have the kind of love that covers a multitude of sins. Listen, that's why, listen... Um, Finishing well isn't easy. Why? Because it's, it's a fight, but it's a good fight. 
The second thing that he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. The second thing is, is that finishing well is a marathon. That's why he says, I finished the race. I've gotten to the end of my life and I've done everything that God called me to do. There was nothing left undone. Um, I think about this a good bit. Um, my, dad, my, my dad went to heaven about seven and a half months ago. And there is not a day that I haven't thought about him um, or that I've just wanted to call him. And uh, just, just to tell him something funny or something silly the kids did or just um, because I was talking to somebody and it just reminded me of, of something funny that he said. And, um, and, and so, you know, you walk through that. But, you know, what I'm so grateful for about my dad's life is that I didn't have to lie at his funeral. And, you know, I have officiated, I don't have a count, but well over 300 memorial services, funerals, maybe more, but it's well over 300. And there have been these moments where it's like, I'm just like just trying my hardest to be nice. Um, and, and, and then there's other times when um, you don't have to do that at all. My dad wasn't a perfect person, and he owned his mistakes. Um, but when I talked about his faith and his commitment to Jesus at his funeral, it was real. And um, I, I officiated a funeral on Friday and the graveside service, and it was the same thing. Like this, this precious guy who, who, was, who was a singer in our band and um, went to heaven unexpectedly, but... Um, his faith was real. And I'm telling you, and I've been thinking about this, um, that I just, what I don't want, I think about someday, and I hope it's, you know, what I've, I've told my kids that I'm living to 150, so I'm hoping it's 102 years from now, but that someday my kids are going to stand before a group of people, and I don't want them to lie about their dad and the type of man that I was. I want to be someone, and I know you want to be someone that finishes their race with joy and lives an honorable life to the end. Um, when I was younger, I had a friend named Don. Um, we were kind of odd friends because um, I was 24, and he was in his mid-70s. So we were kind of an odd pair to be friends, but um, he was just this, this man of God and a man of wisdom and um, he was way smarter than any of my friends who were all in their about the same age as me. And, um, you know, I've, I've never understood the obsession that our culture has with youth. And I, I think being young is awesome. But when I was young, uh, like when I was in my 20s, I wanted to be 40. Because every person that I knew who was wise was in their 40s. And then I turned 40. And I was right. Because you look back and you're like, yeah, I wouldn't do that. And you start doing things different. That's why I've told people this, that being in, uh, being in my 40s, my 40s has been my favorite decade being alive. Absolutely, I mean, not even close uh, to any of the others. Um, well, anyway, back to Don. Don had been married for 50 plus, almost 60 years. And he got, he got sick. And uh, after a battle with his illness, um, he moved into eternity. And, um, and after he died, he had given his wife this one instruction. After I'm gone, in the safe at our house, there's a manila envelope. Um, and it had her name on it. And uh, so after he died, she went to the safe, 
and she opened, um, there's a middle envelope that said Kit on it, which was her name, and in it was every document, every password, every plan, every phone number that she needed to move on without him. And I'd never seen anything like it um, in my life. And inside that, he wrote her a letter. And he wrote her a letter about how much he loved her and uh, how much that he was going to miss her and that he was going to... Um, I have never been able to tell this story without crying, and I thought for sure today would be the day. And it is not. Um, but he said that um, how much he loved her and that he'd miss her and that he would be waiting for her in the kingdom of God when her time arose. Um, Don Tuggle was a real man. He fought the good fight, and he finished the race. And uh, all the while, he had a faith that sustained him. And uh, listen, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to get so heavy on you. Um, let me say something funny. It's going to help me. Um, uh, you know what you call a crocodile that uh, solves crimes? An investigator. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm good. All right. So, dads, it's a good joke for your kids. But he had a faith that sustained him. And the last thing is, Paul says, not only did I fight the good fight and I've um, finished the race, I've kept the faith. Simply put, even after everything that had happened in Paul's life, his faith was intact and his faith was preserving him. My friends, listen, if your faith is dependent on smooth sailing in your life, you won't have much of a faith to speak of. But... If your faith is how you navigate the choppy waters that life brings us, then you will have a faith that's worth talking about and worth emulating. So listen, don't fall into the trap of interpreting Jesus' love for you through the lens of your circumstances. Instead, flip it and interpret your circumstances through the lens of Jesus' love for you. That little switch will transform your life and it will transform your faith. Well, Paul gets real personal now in verse 9 through the end of the book and just starts talking about um, what seems like housekeeping kind of stuff, but it's really, there's something really powerful that I want to show you in verse 9. He says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the hammersmith, the coppersmith, did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. That's not a prayer you hear very often. God, this guy's a problem. Take him out, uh, <laughs> if you will, and let's, <laughs> let's not leave a paper trail. Uh, then he says in verse 15, you must also beware of him for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be fully preached through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I've left in Miletus sick. Do your best, do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Last thing I want to tell you and then we're done. And that is the final lesson that Paul has is that we must learn from every example. You see, we tend to think that it's like, oh, I just got to find a good model to follow. And that's important. But we learn a great deal from bad examples. If we realize that they're bad examples, we get the the two crossed and we're going to have a real problem. But listen, we are influenced by people. And so what I want to do, Paul shows us, he lists a bunch of names, and I just want to point out two that are important. The first is this guy by the name of Demas. Demas is mentioned three times in the New Testament. The first time is in this very personal book, uh, this little letter in the New Testament that's called Philemon, where Paul says this, Demas is our co-laborer and he greets you. Now, I want you to think about that, that how Paul is saying um, Demas is, when someone is saying, hey, this person greets you, that means this person was known to the church. This person was not just, hey, this guy's helping us out. No, he's a co-laborer with us. He's planting churches with us. He's preaching with us. He's doing the work with us. The next time that Demas is mentioned is in the book of Colossians chapter 4, where it says this, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. If you're not aware who Luke is, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And it says that him and Demas greet you. These were well-known people. And then, lastly, we see him in 2 Timothy in verse 9, where Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has left for Thessalonica. It's not that he just abandoned the Apostle Paul. It's that he had walked away from the things of God. Listen, Demon had the best, uh, Demas had the best teacher. He had the best mentor. But at the end, he walked away. And it's proof that it doesn't, it's not how you start that matters. It's how you finish. To prove that point, let me share another person that Paul mentions in uh, verse 11. He says, get Mark and bring him with you for he's useful to me for ministry. Mark, or literally John Mark, we first hear about him in the book of Acts chapter 12 when Paul and Barnabas are going to go on a missionary journey. They're going to go throughout this area of the world and they're going to start planting churches. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 12. You'll see it right there. There we go. We have to warm up the computer. Um, It says, And Barnabas and Saul, that is Paul, returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So all is good. Then they're going to go, they go on another journey, and John Mark starts getting a little bit weird. When things get a little problematic, persecution comes, and he bails on them. A couple of years later, Paul says to Barnabas, you know what we need to do? We need to go back. Let's go back and let's see how all those churches that we planted, let's see how they're doing. And Barnabas says, that sounds great, but there's just this one problem. You'll see what it says in Acts 15. It says Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had departed them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, 
But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul and Barnabas, these two guys that had done ministry together for so long, they had such a falling out over this young man named John Mark that they never did ministry again, all because of this guy who had flaked out. And Paul's like, you want to take him, that's fine, but I'm not bringing somebody else who's going to flake out on us. I'm not doing it. Well, let's fast forward now to the end of Paul's life. And in verse 11, he says, hey, Luke, when you come to me, can you grab John Mark with, uh, as well? He's been really useful in ministry. You see, John Mark did not start well. But apparently he grew up and beca he became a faithful friend and partner to the Apostle Paul. In fact, the next time that you read the Gospel of Mark, thank God that God uses imperfect people. Because Mark's Gospel is Peter's account of Jesus' life, but Mark was the scribe who wrote it all down, which is why it bears Mark's name. You see, that's why the point is, is that it's just, it doesn't matter where you start from. You can start fighting the good fight now. You see, I wonder if there was a moment in John Mark's life when he had flaked out and people were saying, you know what your problem is? You should be a little more like Demas. You see what he's doing with Paul? That's what you need to be more like. Demas is the guy that you should look at to be in your, you know, the guy that you look to for ministry and direction and all this. And then now let's fast forward to the end. The guy who started well did not finish well. And the guy who started very poorly was the guy that Paul wanted at the very end of his life. You see, the point, my friend, is that it doesn't matter where you start. It, does, it, just, it doesn't even matter where you are now. What matters is your decision to say, I want to start fighting the good fight now. That you can turn things around now. You can start doing what God has called you to do now and watch God transform your life. And this can be the moment that you begin to live the life that you were meant to live. So I'm gonna invite all of us to stand in these closing moments. Because I really believe for those of us to say, I wanna start fighting the good fight. For some of us, that means we start, we just, we come to Jesus and we invite him to direct our lives and we experience forgiveness and grace and mercy and all of that. Some of us, listen, some of us are already Christians. And we're like John Mark. We need to come back. We need to do well. Some of us have gone the Demas route. We need to come back and do well and decide that we're going to fight the good fight. And listen, and when we do, you know what we're going to find? A God who loves us and forgives us and restores us and who wants to transform us by his power. So what I want to do as we close is I want to give you an opportunity to make the decision and the declaration that we're going to start fighting the good fight. We're going to continue fighting the good fight because we don't want to just start well. We want to finish well. I really believe that the beginning of our future, the future that we really want could happen today. It could begin today when we make a decision that says, I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to finish the race and I'm going to keep the faith. So listen, if that's you, 
then here's what I want to encourage you to do. When the band begins to play, I'm going to invite you from wherever it is that you're standing to meet me here, to meet me here at the front of this stage. And this is going to be our moment and our declaration that we didn't want to just start well. We don't want to do well in the middle. We want to finish well. And some of us need to come back to Jesus or come to Jesus to finish well. And that this can be the moment when we start living the life we've always wanted to live. And everything begins to change. And I'm grateful that God is not just the God of second chances and third chances. I don't know how many chances you've had, but he wants to give you another. That this can be the moment. So if you're ready, I'm going to invite you to meet me here as the band begins to sing. Lead us, guys. people that still need to take a step I know it and you know it and you're like I thought he was just going to skip this part no you want to finish well but if you want to finish well you got to decide and that this is your decision as to what you want to do but listen maybe this is the moment maybe this is the moment that you take a bold step in God's direction and you watch him do something amazing in your life and in your future. So listen, the band's not going to play again. If you say, Pastor, I'm supposed to be up there, I'm going to give you a moment to start to take a step in the direction of these amazing people who have decided. But if you're ready, this is your moment. Yeah, come on up. Yeah, yeah, come on up, bro. Yeah, God bless you guys. Yeah. God bless you. God wants to do so much. He wants to do so much in our lives if we just open ourselves up to it. That this really can be the moment that changes everything. That we decide we want to finish well. And God wants us to finish well. And he wants to help you to finish well. So church, let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for every person that's made a decision to take a step in your direction today. I ask and pray that you would do the work that only you can do. God, some of us didn't start well. Some of us, it hasn't even going well in the middle, but God, today is the day that we want to start over and watch you do what only you can do. So Lord, I pray that as we call out to you, that you would hear us, that you would act, and that you would answer. 
Those of you that have come forward, I'm going to invite you to just repeat this prayer. It's not a magic formula. I, they're my words, but I pray that they would express your heart to God in this moment. In fact, we're all going to pray it out loud together. Just say, dear God, I come to you today, and I'm sorry for all I've done. But I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I want to start following you. I want to finish well. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.